This is Women in a Day, a podcast created to give a deep look at the daily lives of women of all kinds, from sunrise to sunset, with Jenny Halzer and Portia Hensley. Welcome to Women in a Day podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate and subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to go to womeninadaypodcast.com to find out more about us and our podcast, please do. I'm Portia Hensley, and I'm with Jenny Hauser. Hello, and welcome, everyone. We're so excited today. This is our first double guest episode. So with us today, we have Katie Fossilius, who is a mom and a wife and a grad student in theology. Yes? Yes. And we also have another first, our first teen guest, the very brave Maggie Fossilius, who is obviously a student. Maggie is also basically a professional dancer and athlete. She's joining us here today, too. So welcome, you guys. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks for having us. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Katie, why don't you tell us about what your day looks like? Okay. um, I'm going to pick Wednesday because uh, it's probably one of my more interesting days other than just get up, study, get kids from school. Wednesday, uh, I get the kids off to school. How many kids do you have? I have three girls. And what are their ages? 10, 12, and 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh-huh. makes it easy to remember. <laughs> yeah, all two years apart. We've got two at one school now, one at another school. So get everybody where they need to be. Generally, I go for a short run. I've got to try to do that every day. And then I pick up Maggie at school because she schools half day every day. On the other days, she has a driver that picks her up, like a babysitter that drives her to ballet. But Wednesday, I have class. So I get the opportunity to pick her up at noon and we get a little mom and daughter silly time in the car. It's usually really fun. And then I take her to dance. I go to class. I get done with class and then I pick up my other daughter, you know, after school, like 3.30. And then we kind of rush home to get my other daughter off the bus. And then we're kind of chill because Maggie has the driver that brings her home. So it's nice in that way that my husband's schedule is really busy and varied and he helps when he can, but he, I can't count on him to drive her. Right. And we'll probably get into this later, but part of my anxiety prevents me from driving a lot. Right. So that is why we have had a driver in most years. It's just something that takes one thing off my plate to where I'm not like having panic attacks all the time or constantly having um, to drive around all the time. Just, just a big trigger for me. Right. Especially with three kids. Yeah. There's a lot of activities. Yes. And it's kind of weird. It's a weird, it's kind of weird to have a driver. It's kind of weird. Like, you know, her dad drives a lot of places. She has to go somewhere tonight and, um, her dad will take her is to wear more, um, well, this weekend she had a ballet competition and it's like all the moms are always driving and all the moms are always doing things. And in our family, if it involves a lot of driving, usually my husband if he's around is doing it because it's like I said it's just less like stress for less me less of a trigger for yeah, you but it's intense and it's interesting after this weekend you notice more it just becomes more evident you know that like all the moms are there but I'm not there I'm there later I'm always there for the competition or whatever but he does a lot of the running around when he can so it's interesting to think about 
initially it, you know, sometimes it'll make me sad, but then part of me thinks like, wow, this is so great for her father, you know, to have this involvement that's really forced by my mental illness in a way, because otherwise I don't think that's the way it would be. It would be that I would be taking her around, but I was telling dad, I said, you know, I think that you're going to be really demanding on your husband because dad's, he's really good about like whatever Maggie needs or wants he will drive if it's eight o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night or you know I'm like no way I'm in bed or I'm yeah you know I have like a really structured like life that happens especially for something like dance I'm sure you know it would probably be less noticeable if it was a soccer thing or a softball thing but I'm sure in the dance world it's probably even more of a rarity yeah, and they talk about him going to like there was a, like a Sleeping Beauty or something, and I didn't know they were going to put all the moms together. I thought they were going to go on a date, like Je- Jeff and Maggie were going to have like a daddy daughter night out, and then the mom put all the moms together and all the kids together. So Jeff is like in the middle of all the ba- ballet moms at this ballet. <laughs> it's like the ballet dad. He's yeah. a dance dad. He's a dance dad. He and was he the only dad cool. when he took me to get point shoes. All the moms were there, and they were like, "It's not." nice to see a dad for a change. It, it I'm like, sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure it really is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are lots of other husbands who get to hear about like, <laughs> how Jeff dad. is around all Maggie's the time. dad knows exactly. <laughs> yeah, and people probably don't know why. You know, uh, they, they don't probably have any idea why it's always dad driving Maggie around. He gets uh, stretched, I think, a lot because of what goes on in our family dynamic, but it also is a great benefit, I think. So Maggie, why don't you tell us about what a typical day looks like for you? Okay, so usually I wake up around 7, and I get ready for school, and then I come down and I take my breakfast and eat it in the car, because I'm always late. (laughs) I get to school and I take my four core classes, which are science and algebra and communications foundations and Spanish. And then I leave at usually around 12.15. And on most days, I have a driver that picks me up. But on Wednesdays, my mom picks me up. And then I get to ballet around 12.45. And I have class from then until, I think, like 1.30, maybe. And then we have another class from 1.30 until 3. And then we usually have a 30-minute break. And then we have another class from... 3.30 until 6, and then on two days of the week, it's till 8. So, and then Where I do you dance? Uh, International Youth Ballet. Okay. And so how many days are you practicing and actually going to school at ballet? Well, during just the regular season, I do six days a week, and then Saturdays, I just take one class. But during Nutcracker season, it's usually seven days a week, wow. and it's all day Saturday and all day Sunday, so mm-hmm. it's hard. And then I come home, and I... I usually do my homework until I have to go to bed. I do my online classes because I have to take two online classes so that I can graduate. What time do you go to bed? Usually around 11, I think. So you're not watching a lot of TV with your family? (laughs) No. None. No, we feel bad. We're laying around in our pajamas, and poor Maggie's working hard. (laughs) You guys are all on Snapchat, but Maggie Maggie does not have time for that nonsense. She still makes time for that. You can follow her. No. No need for that. Maggie, that sounds like a lot of discipline. Where do you think you get the discipline 
that's required for that kind of schedule? Just doing it from such a young age, because I've been doing this schedule since I was like seven. I've had a really, not this exact schedule, but I've danced every day since I was seven, basically, instead of like not including breaks. I think it's just part of who I am now. I feel bored when I'm not doing it. Right. Do you still love it? I love it a lot. Yeah. I love performing. Sometimes class can be rigorous and it can get a little boring, but when you perform, it's it's, it's kind of my thing. Did you have to audition for International Youth Ballet or how does that process work? No, I started out as a mouse in the Nutcracker when I was five. And then when I was seven, I decided I want to start taking classes and I haven't stopped since. So... So how many kids is it? Are you broken up by age at ballet? Or how like how many kids would you say there are? I mean, there's a lot of kids, but not as big as a lot of ballet schools around the country. We have broken up into mostly age groups, and it's kind of by ability, because we have a, a range of ages in my class. It goes from, like, 12 to 15 in my age level, and then there's other age levels, so... And how many shows do you do a year? Uh, in the winter, we do Nutcracker. We start rehearsing for that in September, and then we perform it in December. And then we have our competition in usually January or February, and that was this past weekend. And then we usually do a spring show, and usually we rotate between four shows, but we're adding a different show this year. We're going to do Alice in Wonderland. Oh, it's the first time we've ever done it, so it's going to be interesting to <laughs> see how that turns out. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very cool. Yeah. So, Katie, you touched a little bit on your mental illness. Can you explain a little bit about what that's like for you, what it looks like for you, what it looks like as a mom? And how it came to be. Like, has this been something that you've always dealt with? Has it gotten worse as you've gotten older? What does that look like as well? Yeah, well, in a nutshell, I think I had my first panic attack when I was uh, in college, I was probably 18 or 20, you know, didn't know what was going on. It was crazy. Went to the clinic. I think they gave me some Xanax and that was the end of it. I didn't want to take it. And and then I would have a lot of trouble commuting, going home, driving, and it would kind of come and go. Was there something that brought on the first one? You know, the first one, and my grandfather had passed away. I think it was like the first death in my family, but I'm pretty sure that I struggled with depression probably from about fifth grade on. I was never diagnosed, but when my parents divorced and just some difficulties that I had in my childhood, I think it just built, they say like anxiety can be untreated depression. And so it just all built on one another and, you know, probably wasn't taking care of myself. I was probably staying up really late and drinking a lot of caffeine. And all of a sudden I was kind of a hot mess in school. And then it came and went. Finally, we moved here when I was about 26, and I was dating my my husband now. He moved with some mermaids. I moved and did AmeriCorps, and I got really sick again and became pretty agoraphobic as to where I couldn't even go, like, a block away to the Rite Aid down the street, you know, didn't want to leave my apartment. And my husband back then was like, you know, why don't you try some medicine? We should really take something. <laughs> it was really impacting every part of my life. So I did and it worked like within days and I was like completely fine. And so then I went for quite a long time in a pretty good stage. I went through graduate school and got my social work degree and then I got pregnant with Maggie and I was off my medication and everything came back and I was really sick for the first few weeks of her life and I struggled so much with taking my medicine and breastfeeding her 
as to where I should have just taken it before I, I had her. I had all my kids C-section, which I think was another probably just like chemical blow to my body, you yeah. know. So I had really bad postpartum anxiety and depression. And so I finally went back on my medicine, then I was fine. And so then we had a great time. Then my second, I went on medicine right away and I was fine. And then my third, I don't know what, I decided not to go on medicine. She didn't sleep, I don't think, for five years. And I just slowly got worse and worse and worse. And at the time they said I looked bipolar, like I was so sleep deprived. Like there was a lot, it was really kind of a confusing time as to what was going on, what my anxiety had morphed as. And then I went back on the medicine that I had always taken and it made me manic. Mm -hmm. So I then got a different diagnosis, which wasn't true. It was just based on the medicine at the time was aggravating um, the situation. How long was that process? Oh, well, I was because like now a, you have three kids. It was so. like a five year. Wow. To where it was coming and going. And, it, and what, you know, my kids were little and they were in the Denver Waldorf and the Front Range Waldorf. And I struggled a lot through those years with different things that I, did, I never knew what they were. I don't think I was familiar with what my depression looked like or like, why am I crying all the time or why am I irritable? Irritability was a huge piece for me. And that didn't make sense, like with my anxiety. So I really struggled with like, what is going on with me? And I never really got great treatment. And the medicine that I took my whole life just stopped working. So then I went through this process between then and now of being sort of in and out of recovery and having medicines work and not work. And I think I've been on like 33 different antidepressants, antipsychotics, benzodiazepines. It just, I'm so sensitive that nothing seems to work. And a lot of it makes me worse before I get better, or a lot of it just makes me worse in general. So... So you're it's, still not with a medicine that's working? Well, well. no, I'm on something, and uh, I'm, I feel like I'm not where I would want to be. I mean, I'm in no way, like, popped a pill, you know, when I was 26, and I was totally right. fine. I still struggle every day with thoughts of anxiety and the inability to, like, do certain things. Do you have a diagnosis that you're comfortable with that you think is right right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably just anxiety disorder with agoraphobia and then depression comes and goes. The more my anxiety isolates me, the more my depression will probably come. The more I don't get out and um, do things and take care of myself when I stop running and when I stop not eating right. I have to be really careful about sleep and exercise and eating and it looks a little neurotic but how does that factor into your day what are your non-negotiables yeah well the running I'm lucky that I don't have to do much but if I can get out for 30 minutes I'm good so usually Monday through Friday I'll try to do that in the morning and then I'm good the eating I just try to eat really healthy but I lost a lot of weight this time around so I'm trying to gain weight and my middle daughter was like how much weight are you trying to gain and I said I'd like to gain like 10 pounds and she's like oh I never heard of that before <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I you're a unicorn I'm not this day I, I was like well I I'm just not hungry you know it affects my appetite my medicine affects my appetite and and then I don't want to run if I don't have enough fuel okay. so that that's a balance for me. So, like, if I'm not eating well, I won't run because I'm not going to run if I haven't, like, had breakfast or 
Uh, I just don't feel like that's good for my body to run on like zero energy. So I've been trying to drink a lot of protein shakes and I always say to Maggie, I'm like, okay, this one's got like 500 calories, you know, like (laughs) I'm like putting oatmeal and all this stuff in it to make it like, how can I get more than a Big Mac in my day? Is there anything in your diet that if you eat? It's it's bad. Oh, uh, I don't eat dairy. I don't eat soy. I try, you know, like anything. We've been eating horribly this weekend. But there's a part of me that's like, oh, I just ate a hamburger and fries. Like my stomach is not responsive to that. But the it's so good. Like as far as weight gain, like it's great to eat junk food, right? Because I get so many calories, and it's like, but I usually later don't feel very good. So. It's it's a little bit of a balance. We were out a lot this weekend, and you know, probably wasn't eating as healthy, but I can make up for it. You know, then Monday comes around, I really have to buckle down and not indulge so much and have try to get the healthy calories. But other than that, and just sleep, like I'm out by ten usually. Um, You know, my kids are older, so we still go around and lay with each of one of them and snuggle with them and put them to bed and you know, so this process is like from nine to ten and then I'm pretty done I have my time for prayer at night which I usually do for about 15 or 20 minutes and you touched on it a little bit before but how does your anxiety disorder affect your mothering or affect your relationship with your kids and your husband well you can ask Maggie that probably too um I think it just limits my ability to take them places because I have had so many horrific panic attacks that I have a lot of like, I don't want to say trauma, but I would assume that that's sort of in my body's traumatic. So I get nervous, like, oh, if I take them to Target and then I have a panic attack, like what's going to happen? What am I going to do? And it's weird being 44 and not feeling like I've had so much treatment too like not feeling like I have the skills to deal with it, but it's still every time seems new. It's like every panic attack is, that's really the one you're going to (laughs) die. Even though I've had like a thousand of them, it's so weird how your brain can totally Do you feel them coming on? Um, Really just hit you? Both. Yeah, it depends. And I can totally psych myself into one and, you know, I mean, even coming here, it was like, um, she, Maggie has to go downtown tonight. And I was like, okay, I don't know if I can do both. I don't know if I can come here and do this and drive her downtown tonight. So luckily my husband can drive her tonight, but he is so accommodating that I've almost stopped forcing myself to do certain things. And, you know, I'm wondering, we're starting to go through that process. Like, okay, are we becoming too codependent? Like, do I need to start doing more things? Am I forcing myself less? Or is it just better? I also have like some heart problems that came about about four years ago that get aggravated by my panic attacks. So it's like, is it better to keep mommy like on a, you know, low key schedule? Right. (laughs) Or should I be pushing myself more? Because the reality is, is that nothing's going to happen. And, you know, really cognitively, you just need to does that help when you push yourself or does it hurt? It, it really can go, either, go way. either way. It depends how sick I am. I was in treatment in the spring because I had gotten so sick again. You know, I think that would be the theory is that you have to get out and right, like face your phobia or your anxiety. But for some reason, I can't get a good enough crutch with my medication to stop 
the flood of adrenaline. Are there things that help you besides the medication? I think, you know, my spirituality definitely helps me for sure. Mm-hmm. And I've learned so, so many tools over the years. It just seems a little silly to me at this point to still be so challenged by it. But it kind of is what it is. But I think we are always constantly changing. Our bodies are changing. Our life demands are changing. So you're not living in a vacuum. It's, you know, life is always different. So your triggers might be different. Your symptoms might be different. And you talked a little bit about Jeff being the only dad who's really at Mm. ballet with Maggie. Have you been able to share this with other parents there? Or what does that look like? How do you feel about being open with it with other people? I'm pretty out there. I wouldn't, you know, for Maggie's sake, I don't, I don't have that type of relationship with the other moms there really that I would probably feel comfortable talking to any of them. And they don't, it's sort of a need to know, you know, that Maggie's free to talk to any of her friends or any, you know what I mean? To explain like, oh, this is why I can't come. Or I don't know really what she tells people. What do you tell people, Maggie? (laughs) We're pretty open. Like I'm pretty open about like, I try to tell as many people as possible because of the fact that A, is someone else struggling and they could use that. And also B, like a lot of people don't get it at all. Like I have friends that don't understand like you know I just get out of treatment it's like well are you better yet you know it's like a week later no, and <laughs> so that's really um it's really hard to be the ambassador to your friends but it can be really heartbreaking when someone you feel like you're close to misses the mark and maybe expects you to be able to do things you can't do or doesn't understand mental illness at all right which a lot of people aren't that I know are not affected by it. So I think you end up, I mean, I end up gravitating towards people who probably have more of an experience in that area, right? Either with addiction or with mental health, or I just feel safer with people who can kind of are just really out there and can understand rather than like, I, you know, I grew up and my life was totally fine and I don't get it. It's hard, but some people aren't safe. Yeah. Really. Like to share that information with. Some people don't get it. Some people will probably have, I don't know, I don't want to say like prejudice, but that misconception. Mis- misconception about trust or So, especially at Maggie's age, I try not, you know what I mean? Like, as far as the ballet group, or I, I'm totally open about it, that. And I guess if they've ever read my Facebook page, they probably know because <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty open about posting about stuff like that. But yeah, I think that whatever, you know, she feels comfortable with sharing with her friends. And uh, as far as the other moms, we're really not that connected. And then in our other communities, everybody knows. I mean, everybody knows. Katie's going home at eight. Everybody knows. So what <laughs> is know? that? How do you explain that to your friends and schoolmates? And what does that look like for you, Maggie? I, I usually don't want to say anything to, like, violate your privacy or anything like that. So I don't know. Usually if I can't go places, I usually just say, sorry, I can't go. Like, I have to go home and do my homework, which usually I do. I'm usually pretty booked. You know? And when you say that you can't go, is it because of it being a driving issue or because you just, yeah, that's a lot of times common. it's driving. Yeah. Do you have friends who come over to your house? And if so, what's that like? 
Yep, usually they have to get a ride to my house. We don't ever usually pick people up, and usually they have to have a ride home. We don't usually drop people off. So I would say that usually limits a lot of hangouts that I could have because a lot of people can't get a ride to our house because I live really far away from a lot of my ballet friends. But, you know, it's just the way it is. So I usually have to go home with people after dance or they have to come with me. What's it like to to be out with your mom when you're in public? Do you have thoughts about her having panic attacks? Can you see them coming on? Not usually. I think, no, I don't think I've ever witnessed that. Because I think that for some reason having, like, me or my sisters there, usually it helps her. Like, she, she wouldn't if we were there. Like, it's just not, yeah, it just doesn't try to keep her distracted. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny. With Maggie, I feel the most comfortable. I didn't feel comfortable driving the kids for a long time, but I think since she's older now, I could even be like, you're driving. She can't drive. But <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're chatting, and I feel like she knows. With her sisters, there's a little more pressure for me to, like, have it together because I don't want to scare them, and they're young. and so Do they I, know? Yeah, they know, but I don't know that, like... They can't really understand maybe what it means. I don't. I think the only time I've had a panic attack when we've been driving, like I had her call Jeff, like, and so she's talking to him on the phone, and you know she may sense that, but it's a distracted, like I'm distracting her or something. But we don't go very many places without all of us, like without my husband and my other two kids. Like we seem to do a lot together anyway, so. It's interesting because I can't say that, like, I've had a meltdown with them. I think I've probably not felt good, but when I got sick this last time, I told you, I was trying to, maybe I was trying to explain, like, why you have to have a driver or, like, a babysitter drive you, and I was like, you know, mom's not feeling good again, and you were kind of like, oh, I didn't know that. Do you remember that? And you were like, can I say what you said? Do you remember what you said? I don't think so. You, You said... You you do a good job of keeping things inside, oh, yeah. and so do I. Mm-hmm. So that must be where I get it from. So it was interesting because, and then it was like one of those moments where I was like, oh, no. Like, we are keeping our feelings inside, like, and we're not, you know, it was, like, heartbreaking, but it was, like, so I felt like this was the huge breakthrough in our relationship. Yeah. Like, it was a huge changing point because I was like, oh, now we talk a lot like more yeah. openly about this kind of stuff like yeah. if I'm having an issue or she's having an issue we can just talk to each other about it doesn't feel like there needs to be any secrets mm-hmm. between us because it just doesn't help either of us I don't think and it seems like you're at that age too where you know you can have a more kind of peer-to-peer relationship and I think you are Katie are open enough that you know Maggie if you notice something is going on you could point it out to her or you could express that and you would be glad to hear that from someone that you love and trust Mm -hmm. yeah it was a good changing point and I think even as far as my struggles but just knowing that she had struggles that she was internalizing and not telling me I was like oh (laughs) it was like this huge turning point in our relationship and ever since then we have been just more, more communicative and just yeah. in like, you know, that piece of vulnerability. We started listening to one of Brené Brown's books over the summer together. Mm-hmm. And so we would like play it in her bed and, you know, do the 
I would be taking notes or journaling or whatever. And it was all about vulnerability. Right. And yeah, it was really cool. And I don't know if Maggie was listening. You you thought it was all right. Yeah. Yeah. We it, didn't finish it. We never fit. I know now we have no time. Yeah. Like, we'll have to finish it this summer. But it, it was like really good timing because I think for both of us, and, and you just learned recently too with a post you had posted about how being vulnerable is like this kind of heart opening experience that you are just getting to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you want to talk about doing that, how that happened. Yeah, I just have a, uh, like being in ballet and stuff, I have a lot of struggles like with believing in myself and like body image and like thinking that I'm good enough at ballet because it's kind of. It's kind of my dream so you have to I don't know it's really hard when you don't feel like you're good enough yeah. and so I am trying really hard to just be more confident because I used to be super confident in myself and I'm not really sure what happened but I'm trying really hard to you know believe in myself and mom always tells me that you know it's like my time is gonna come it might not be right now but it's it's gonna come someday and it's good to hear that from her and I will tell you, and I think Portia will say this too, just the fact that you're even having these thoughts at 14, you are so far ahead of the game. Yeah. Because there are people that we know who are, you know, in our 30s and trying to figure it out then is really tricky. So just, it is true. I know it's hard to hear that good things take time, but just the fact you're thinking about it is huge. How do you think vulnerability plays into that confidence? I don't know. I think it's just... Well, you put that post. I think that's a good example of the Instagram post that you had yeah, put out there. That was really hard, I think, because I don't like to admit to other people that I'm struggling because a lot of my friends see me as the, you know, I'm the one that is just really happy Happy go lucky and, and jokey. Yeah. Jokey yeah. and the funny one. But it's it's hard to admit to people that you're not at, like doing your best or that you're not at 100%. And so I just, I kind of was like, I, everyone was posting about what a great year 2018 was, or 2017, and I was like, it wasn't really the greatest year for me, like I struggled a lot, so I kind of just put that out there and I got a lot of really awesome responses from my friends that were just like, we're here for you, and it, oh, it was really huge. great. Yeah. It was a What's the best advice you've ever gotten, Maggie? Probably just stuff that my mom says all the time because <laughs> she, I don't know, whenever I'm having a bad day, she'll always talk me out of it. But the one thing that she always says, like I said earlier, is that my time will come and I just have to be patient and I can't give up because it's going to come someday. So, Katie, what's the best advice you've ever received? Well, I think I believe what I tell Maggie. Like, I do believe that everything will come for a reason or my time will come or along with that is just, you know, having patience and the best advice probably for me is to just take care of myself, you know, and do what I need to do to teach my children about self-care and teach my children aside from what I deal with. It's just good practice for anybody, right. you know, try to teach them to have a balanced life. And that's hard with Maggie because she doesn't have really a balanced, quite a balanced life. So we try as hard as we can. Well, I want to talk really quickly about your support system because it feels like Jeff, your husband, 
I feel like I feel like we, we have should to be talk here. about Jeff. I know. <laughs> he is a saint. Yeah, they call him Saint Jeff. It sounds like I mean he it's he's got this. And what does that look like? Oh, I feel for him because he's a great guy, but he's got a really busy, unpredictable schedule and. I feel like his life must be really, it's really overwhelming a lot of the times. I mean, he's gone at five. He might get home at eight or nine o'clock at night. Then he might get a trauma call. He's in surgical sales. So if he's on call, then he might have to leave at nine and he won't get home till two in the morning. And, and he can go through periods where it's really bad like that. And then periods where he's freed up a lot. But if I need anything, he said it yesterday. He's like, I would do anything for you. I would do anything for the girls. And so we try to just work it so we keep him sane as possible, you know, and get him out for bike rides and get him self-care and, you know, do whatever we can. But he's been caught up in this crazy career forever, and it doesn't bode well for my (laughs) mental health. It's probably not the best combination if I had a husband who was, like, 9 to 5 or I have friends 9 to 3 or he's always had this intense intense career and so that was a part of me not doing really well too when the kids were little because I just I was raising three kids by myself yeah basically and you know he is more around now and it's more his goal and I say he's totally invested father I mean you know we work it out in a way that I think we have a lot of fun you know we still have a lot of fun together as a family and we do a lot of fun things together and we have our good times and our bad times, you yeah. know, like in two years ago, we traveled a bunch and we're going to go to London. I don't know how that's going to happen. They're just going to roll me on the plane. And <laughs> do you have anxiety when you fly? Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> <Any> transportation. <laughs> oh, that's going to be hard. It depends how I'm doing, but like there was one year we went to New York and you competed and then we went to Florida and then we went to Ohio and then I went to Spain it will be interesting to see, Maggie, as you get older and start driving and things like that. I'm sure your teen years will look even yeah. more different. And Definitely. There's a lot of times where I want to go somewhere and I can't, and I'm just like, if I could just drive myself, like I would go so many places. I don't know. But a lot of times I can't, but it's coming. And I'll be sad, because it is one thing that like kind of keeps us in this more low-key lifestyle even it's almost like a blessing in a way because it keeps us kind of home like you know she would run around like all the time she would be I would never ever see her so it's kind of a nice thing to to have her around I'm not looking forward to her driving to tell you the truth most parents are like yay they can drive and drive to their sports and do all this stuff and I'm kind of like ah she's never gonna be home yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah. Who is your support system, Maggie? Like, do you have a couple of close friends, your sisters? Or? I think a lot of my ballet friends are the people I can always talk to. And I've known a lot of those girls since I was five. So yeah. they're kind of like sisters. And I think that we're all really close. And there's a lot of them. And I'm close to a lot of them. It's not just one of them. So I always have somebody if I need to. If I need support. And then I always have my mom at home. Yeah. And my sisters. My sisters are really good at that. Are they? They are. Did you hear Liv last night? No. (laughs) So I had a competition this weekend, Mm -hmm. and it didn't really go the way that I planned or that I wanted, I guess. I mean, it it went, and I I felt like I performed really well. (laughs) 
but it just and I came home and Liv was like, I think you're great. I think you're a star, and oh, you would so get sweet. first place if it were up to me. And I was like, okay. Yeah, my husband's like, I feel like you're coming into your own with these teenagers, and I was like, oh, okay, good. Yeah, I enjoy them so much. And who knows, maybe I'll listen to this in another year and be like, oh, (laughs) that was really funny when I said that. (laughs) But I doubt it. Thank you so much to Tony Tarbox, our extraordinary editor, and to Hillary Blair for loaning her voice to our introduction. But most of all, thank you to our listeners. 